time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 55 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron, and this week, Patrick and I are discussing the dangers of modernization at the heart of the circle. This film, starring Emma Watson and Tom Hanks, offers us a glance into the not-so-distant future of technological advances and provides us a lot of ethical dilemmas to talk through. Yes, it does, Aaron, and they are some big ones, so I'm excited to talk through these with you. I dig movies that, uh, that give us a chance to ponder on questions that they, they ask us, and um, so hopefully this conversation leads to some uh, some some answers or at least you know more good conversation in the meantime why don't we go ahead and dive into what we've been up to this week um i don't really have anything i've been pretty boring <laughs> i've had work and <laughs> i've just sort of been laying low um i started a new book but um i'm not through with it yet so i can't really recommend it at this point um but uh what about you what have you been up to well, I have not been boring. Uh, I've been busy. That also starts with a B. And I have watched quite a few things. Um, we've been content crazy lately, <laughs> I feel like, putting out uh, uh, lots of, a lot of, lots of mini-sodes with the Summer Movie Challenge and an Alien uh, Roundtable discussion and then our Ex Machina Donor Pick episode last week. So um, there's been a lot of podcasting going on. I am gearing myself up, getting excited about the Seattle International Film Festival. That press meeting, I guess, is what they call it. I, I'm not sure. It's a, it's an event where I'll get to go uh, next week and get like a, an introduction to the films that they're going to be showing. I guess they usually have 400 plus. I've attended this many times as a non-member of the press, just as, a, as an everyday Joe. I've stood an hour or stood an hour. I've stood in line for for hours. Um, to watch uh, these screenings. So I'm pretty excited about that and the access that I'm going to have. I don't know what it's going to entail yet, and I don't know all of the films that are going to be there, but I find out in a couple days, and I can't wait to tell you about it. And eventually, I'm sure, uh, on our social media feed, our listeners will find out what I'm doing as well, and I'll provide some coverage for that. But anyway, that's just a look into the quickly into the future of, of what I'm excited about. A little movie crystal ball there. Yeah, yeah. And I've been, and, and the reason I brought it up is because I've been kind of working on getting those credentials secured last week. Um, but the other things that I have been doing, I've watched a few things that really um, connected with me that I wanted to bring up. The first one is The Lost City of Z. Now, you and I have talked briefly about this film off air uh, probably a few times. I know you've asked me, what is that? <laughs> and... Um, I told you, you know, this is based on a book that I read. Um, it is about the real-life uh, explorer Percy Fawcett. Uh, he's a, a British military man um, who became an explorer and eventually went missing in the Amazon. And it's an unsolved mystery. No one ever knows. No one's found out what happened. No one ever found him. And this is a retelling of, of this novel, uh, this story. And I was extremely worried going into this one, to be honest with you, that I just didn't know how it was going to turn out. I I was concerned that they were going to take this story and try to turn it into Indiana Jones, and that's really not what it was. Um, 
this was much more of what I would consider a realistic explorer story. Um, now I say realistic kind of with a grimace on my face. Like I have any idea what that means because <laughs> I've never gone into the unexplored Amazon personally. Um, but you know, my assumption would be that there are not uh, secret tribes uh, of cannibals waiting to eat me underneath the ground and sacrifice me to Cali mall. So, um, you know, this film, it, it does take a much more measured approach. And what I really loved about it is it is a Hollywood epic. The way it's shot, the way it's filmed, um, the way we go through Percy Fawcett's, you know, as- just pieces of his life leading up to his eventual disappearance. Um, this film has an incredibly amazing sense of wonder to it. Just the way that uh, every... Every time he goes around a corner of the river in the Amazon jungle, there is a tension about what he might find or have to run away from. But there's an equal amount of excitement and, and ha- you know, you know, anxiety regarding, you know, the wonder of what he might discover. And the film captures it just in a way that so few do. It really harkens back to John Huston's movies. Um uh, in the past, things like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, um, The Emerald Queen, things like that is, is, are the ones that I thought of when watching this. Performances are fantastic as well. Um, this, is, this is not getting a lot of play, but it's getting plenty of rave critic reviews from others than just myself. Um, it is my favorite movie. No, it's not my favorite movie. I keep, I keep forgetting your name is in my 2017 list. Um, it is my <laughs> second favorite movie of 2017 thus far. Um, and I really, really adore this one. Hopefully, um, I'm thinking, you know, one day in time, you know, maybe down the road when it comes out on, on home video or something, it's something that you and I might want to talk about because I really enjoy it. And I think that it's a film knowing you very well that you would really, really like. Oh, good. Well, I, I take that very seriously when you recommend a film to me because most of the time you're right. And I'm glad that you described it the way you did because until you did and until we had these conversations, I thought it was a sequel to World War Z, um, you know, because it's just the letter Z, you know, <laughs> just connected with it. So <laughs> apparently it's not that at all. So that's good. No, but that is coming uh, to be directed by David Fincher uh, announced this past week. So uh, uh, different, so different li- thing entirely. <laughs> different, different, different movie, same letter. <laughs> and And I honestly, I think that that's part of, you know, it's a whole nother conversation, but the marketing aspect of film and how, whether movies get seen or not. And this one just without the adventure aspect, it's really hard to market it. It's got an interesting title, the lost city of Z, but even in the previews that I saw for it, no one really got a feeling of like what it was going to be about. Um, and the tone of how it was going to be presented. So yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating thing to explore. Uh, and one day I think we should do that. The, um, the other things that I connected with this week particularly, uh, interesting that I just brought up briefly your name. I've talked about it on the show before. Um, you and I are going to cover this at some point soon because I adore this movie so much. Um, but it's from uh, director uh, Makoto Shinkai. And going back into his filmography was something that I wanted to do. Whenever I'm blown away by a movie 
like just completely shocked and floored. I really want to go see what that director has done before. Um, and so I went back and the kids and I started this weekend by what we watched two different things by him. Uh, two of his, what are considered two of his best. One is a, about a 20, 25 minute short film, a short story film called voices of a distant star. And it's phenomenal. The anim it's way old, 15 years or so. And the animation is clearly outdated. I mean, it is, it's definitely not on par with anywhere close to what he's doing now nor anything else animated wise it's it's really it's not good <laughs> it's it's just kind of old uh, is the best way to describe it um, but this tells the story of a couple of people boy and a girl and the girl is <laughs> essentially uh, she is off to save the world she's uh, flying around in a in a mech robot in space chasing an alien race through the solar system and it starts when these two are in high school or in elementary school, middle school in Japan, and they have this relationship where they're sending each other text messages. And the story is just of their relationship. And it's told through text messages sent to each other on phones across time and space. Um, and as they go, you know, they get longer and longer. So it's, at one point it's like, Hey, I'm writing you this message. It's going to get to you in eight years. So it's very reminiscent of interstellar. Uh, in that way and it and it has a it, it, it definitely this this director everything he's done I would say makes me think of Christopher Nolan if Christopher Nolan was doing really really emotional anime this would be what he made so um, you know for that reason alone <laughs> obviously I connect with this stuff but yeah, yeah Voices of a Distant Star it's just it's just a beautiful picture of not giving up on love ever no matter what the circumstances are no separation of distance or time um, can never break us up if we'll always wait and we'll always hope. So loved it, thought it was really good. Um, but then we watched five centimeters per second, which people had told me was on par with your name. Some people think better, uh, or most people believe it's his best up until your name. This one is a gut wrencher. I mean, it is La La Land animated style like you wouldn't believe uh, as far as how the story ends up progressing. It's told in three acts. So there's like three different 20 minute ish episodes. Um, the first one revolving around these two characters, Takaki and Akira. They're in middle school. They've had a relationship since elementary. Um, their relationship starts off with, you know, no cell phones because it's that time of uh, time period. They're just, you know, writing each other letters uh, she moves away. He wants to go see her. He travels to try and see her. Things happen. It's emotional. Um, and it's all about the beginning of, of their relationship and how it's managed as, as they face again these same similar concepts that Shinkai explores over and over, which is love crossing time and distance. Um, the second episode then features uh, Takaki in high school, I believe. And there's a girl that is really just in love with him madly and having a hard time uh, expressing that to him. And so we get to see this picture of what it's like for someone to want someone else so bad. And yet they're invisible to that person because that person's mind is somewhere else. Uh, and then we progress into a third act where we get our conclusion that I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, but it is it, it brought me to tears 
Um, it's an incredible story. I think it's another one just like your name was where it would be even better on multiple viewings. Um, the first act alone is just honestly, it's one of the best pieces of storytelling I've ever seen. And Patrick, this animation, this and your name, the two of them are the pinnacle of animation that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm to me, these are way beyond anything Pixar has ever done because there is, there is something about Japanese anime when it's done correctly that allows for expression of emotion that you cannot get in what I see in Disney and Pixar. And what I mean is just the way the faces work. And then specifically this director, his ability to linger on moments. There is a moment in five centimeters per second. You would like, if we were doing a connecting point right now, that it might be my connecting point. And you would, people would be like, huh? But I pointed it out to my daughter and I was like, Oh my gosh, do you see that? Our two main characters have finally reunited at one point, and they're sitting there in in, a, in seats next to each other. They're like desks. I think they're in school, and all we see on our screen is her legs and her feet, and we see her her feet fidgeting as they talk. We see her knees kind of come together as she kind of squeezes them. We see her her toes start tapping, her heels twisting slightly, you know, to the side, back and forth. And we just linger on the way her legs and her feet are moving underneath this desk. And it tells us everything we need to know about her mind and her feelings and her emotion in that moment as she's, you know, so nervous and kind of just excited talking to him. And I loved it. And that kind of that kind of scene alone, these two animations and this director in general are just everything he does is full of it. So I'm a huge Shinkai fan, and I cannot wait to eventually talk through some of his stuff in detail with you. But in the meantime, I highly recommend to all of you listening, Makoto Shinkai, five centimeters per second, and your name. Go see them. Well, thanks, man. This introduction was brought to you by Japanese anime and Aaron White. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. I, that's that's really exciting. And I have, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Miyazaki. I mean, I've seen, I haven't seen all of his films, but I've seen enough of them to say. This is what good storytelling is in terms of just, um, in terms of just, just good stories and and character development and just all this stuff. And I I took a look at um, at the trailer for your name because I was I was talking to a coworker of mine about it and I said yeah my buddy in Seattle is just raving about this and so we looked at the trailer and you were exactly right I mean you were absolutely right and that it is a beautiful. I mean, if you just put, if you just paused at any given point, you could frame half of these images just because they're so rich with color and uh, the animation is just beautifully done. And you mentioned the facial expressions. He, he, he pointed out that films like this do so much more with the faces than older anime and that they're a lot more emotive and that it just really provides a lot more depth to the character. Um, I love that you brought up a a nonverbal <laughs> connecting right. point, and and ironically that doesn't involve using a face. But yeah, it's 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 that kind of stuff where you say more with less, and I think that's a that's a very cool thing. So I'll put those. I'm writing them down now. I mean, your name obviously is there, but five centimeters per second, right? It is, and and yeah. you know we'll talk offline, and I'll uh, I'll get you a way to watch those. So okay. Um, 
at, at least five centimeters per second. I have an account that I can, I can share with you, but, um, yeah, yeah it's good stuff, man. And, and yeah, I have, I mean, I have your name as now as my desktop background. It's just, it's so gorgeous. It's a screen cap from it. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's like pops off my screen in color. It's pretty amazing. I mean, listen to this listeners. If, if a desktop background can usurp La La Land. It did. Yeah. 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 It I was, mean, it was Ryan and Emma up until, uh, up until this point. So. <laughs> oh, quick shout out, by the way, uh, to Jason, Jason Knowles, uh, one of our listeners, um, and one of our, uh, Patreon supporters who tweeted me some pictures of himself, uh, kicking back on the couch with tap shoes on. <laughs> and I was like, dude, That's yes. Awesome. For his birthday, um, he had gotten some tap shoes. He was watching some La La Land, and uh, he's just in his PJs for now. And I said, well, you know, I, I expect you to, to be recording yourself doing complete dance numbers uh, and wearing these to work and, and the such going forward because you need to always have tap shoes with you, apparently, according to um, Sebastian. You know, anywhere you go, tap shoes are, are okay. Yes, they are. Well, are you ready to do this thing? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. Let's do this thing. So, listeners, I'm going to start us off here with my initial impressions. But before I do that, I'm going to say, spoiler warning for The Circle. If you've read the book, this will not be spoiling anything. Uh, I, I, hold it, Aaron. Withhold it. Um, <laughs> I have more to say about that. <laughs> Trust me, this will not be spoiling anything. Um, if you have not read the book or seen the film... This is one of the rare times where I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a lot going on here that is going to break your heart if you find out about it. Now, proceed at your own cost. You know yourself better than I do, listeners. If you are planning on seeing this film, go for it. If you would like to hear us talk a little bit more in depth about it uh, to help you make that decision, I don't think it's going to impact your viewing of the film in the way that most movies that we talk about would if you were spoiled. Patrick, would you agree with me? Do you yeah, think? I think for the most part. Okay. Um, I mean, there are there are things that are revealed, obviously. I mean, it's any film, but I think comparatively to some things, this is on the way lower scale of like what you're going to care about hearing. So that's our spoiler right. warning for today. Initial impressions. Listeners, we're not super hyped to talk about this. And I, this is one of those rare cases where Patrick and I are covering a film that we both didn't really love um at least one of us has loved pretty much everything we've talked about until now um we discussed potentially can xing this episode uh in favor <laughs> of something that we cared about more but uh for artistic integrity you know this is one that we'd been interested in and uh, me in particular having i read the novel patrick has not um but i was super excited because i'd read the book and i really I mean, I really, really wanted something at least similar to that experience uh, because I enjoyed the book so much. So what did I think about the film? I will say that my two feelings coming out of this that were the strongest were disappointed and shocked. I was extremely disappointed by the lack of emotional connection that I had to this story compared to when I read the novel. Um, I was disappointed in the things that were removed from the story that I felt were integral pieces of the story to character development. And I was incredibly shocked that Dave Eggers, the author of this really great best-selling book, 
had a hand in writing this screenplay. I, I honest, I'm, I'm honestly flabbergasted, and I do not understand how a person could chop his own story into what became of this screenplay. It's, it's mind blowing, and um, and I don't think I'm the only book reader who has said that. Um, I've I've talked to some friends, and and they they think that my one and a half star rating is generous. So um, I'm I'm trying to find the positive here. There are things that I did enjoy about this story, though, Patrick. Um, you know, particularly the tech. I really want to talk about the tech and some of the ideas um, around how our own world could potentially get to the picture that we see in the circle. But as far as entertaining stories go, and more importantly, as far as a story that was trying to potentially tell me something or give me some sort of message, I, I didn't get much out of this at all. And I just, I was, I just, I'm sad, Patrick. I'm sad. I'm sorry that you're sad because I am too. I, I was really disappointed. I, I have not read the book, as you mentioned. And to me, I remember coming out of the theater and saying, man, for a movie called The Circle, this felt very incomplete. And I laughed at myself because I thought I was hilarious. Um, and then I just, I really started thinking about the fact that there, there was just so much about it that felt as though there were pieces cut out. Like we get to one place and then we move to another scene and then we come back to this first place. And it seems like other stuff has happened off screen that we're supposed to know about. And like character motivations sort of speed up and slow down. Um, events seem to take place in in real time and then in just super sped up time. It, it just felt very disjointed. And I felt like I was getting maybe a highlight reel of what this story was. Like it really felt like a Cliff's Notes version of, of a complete story. Like I got the basic points. I said, okay, so she's this and she's doing this. Oh, and this is happening, and then something else happens, and then it ends. And I'm like, wait, what, what did I just see? And I think that's where I, I mean, my feeling coming out of the theater was, okay, did did I miss something? Was this movie too smart for me? Because I, like, even the ending felt a little weird. Um, if there were, the whole thing just felt very inconsistent. I felt like there were inconsistencies in terms of character development inconsistencies in terms of um, the the message that was being portrayed. And there were so many different great pieces and parts, but they just didn't add up to a cohesive whole. Um, and so I guess you could say I liked the pieces, but I didn't like the whole pie there. It just, it just it wasn't good. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great movie experience for me. And I, and I, I was really disappointed because I, I I think there was a, a Facebook feed going around. Uh, you asked the question, you know, that James Harleman inspired you to, uh, inspired by James Harleman, you know, think of a movie that you really don't like uh, that you can say something good about. And I, 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 there aren't a lot of movies that I can really think of that I didn't like at all. I mean, there are movies that I just don't see anymore because they don't interest me, but there's never a movie that I've recently walked away and gone, oh, ugh, I'm frustrated. And this movie did that for me, and I was really disappointed in that because I feel like I'm a pretty positive guy, and for something like a movie like that to do that to me, that kind of says a lot about it. It does, and I was, you know, I was disappointed for you as I was watching it because I knew that this was going to be a date night movie for you, and that you were going to take your wife 
and uh, that that doesn't happen very often. And so <laughs> I was like, man, I I I, I feel for you guys because the last thing I want is you know you guys to end up with a a non great movie. Um, you know, I, well, just I will to, just, just to let you know. She didn't go with me. She ended oh, up having to do something else. So yay. it's half, there's there's some redemption there. So so <laughs> right. see, we're saying something good about the circle already. <laughs> and the soundtrack was amazing. I think Danny Elfman is surprises me, and it, you know he's just wow. I didn't even. He, I'm listening to the soundtrack, and when Danny Elfman's name popped up, I was like, "That's not Danny Elfman." No. Anyway, he surprises me more and more the more I hear his uh, his his stuff, his good stuff. I had no idea that it was Danny Elfman until you told me about it. Yeah, and it didn't come across. I will echo that and say that I agree. I think that the soundtrack was wonderful. The, the themes that played for the circle in particular um, were really good, um, really, really exciting. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I mean, the music, there's nothing wrong with music <laughs> at all. I mean, there's pretty much something wrong with almost everything else, but... But that was one area that they did really well. And and I guess, you know, Danny Elfman still got it. I, I'm trying to think back to what I really loved from Danny Elfman. Uh, Mission Impossible? Is he Mission Impossible? I don't know. I have to, I have to look that up offline. But I, I think what the thing about Danny Elfman is that, to me, he had a specific – he has a specific style. He's got the Edward Scissorhands, the Beetlejuice, the – um, you know, the Simpsons, the, you know, Batman. And, and then we get into this movie that is really like techno-ish ambient. But I, I remember hearing this soundtrack. I remember thinking, wait, he did something else like that. And I still can't remember what movie that was. And to me, I just think what a great range this composer has, because for the longest time, I always associated him with Tim Burton style movies, more of the dark kind of quirky type things uh, well, he's big yeah. Avengers, another one he and, did nightmare before christmas i knew that yeah um, and so he did some of the early him, batman movies mm-hmm. but you can hear that same kind of dark tone uh style in all of those movies and this was not that so when his name popped up i mean because i specifically stayed for the credit so i could so i could see who composed the score because i wanted to get it and when his name showed up i said oh my goodness Props to you, Mister Mister Elfman, because uh, I didn't think that that was your style, and so it was very very cool. Not only did I enjoy the music, but the fact that I it was from a composer that I'm I whose music I enjoy for different reasons, for a, a completely different set of reasons. Okay, he did compose the theme for Mission Impossible, so I, okay. I I thought I was I was right on that. I just wanted to to verify that my mind was not completely gone. I mean, I did just turn thirty eight, so. I'm losing brain cells by the minute, people, and it's possible. Um, but I'm glad to know that I remembered that important piece of information. But yeah, the the music, I, I'm I'm with you, totally. Um, one <laughs> one of my uh, friends who listens to the show, and who I so I had introduced these two people to the book, and um, of course they went and saw it Friday night as well, like just like me because they were excited, and I've, then I had to feel bad <laughs> for getting them into this. Uh, he said, well, the one thing I liked about it, he said it got a, what did he say? He said it got a, a half star for for the tech, uh, the way the visuals were. And then it got a half star because it showed a certain beach that was from his childhood. <laughs> He's like, I used to live, I used to go to that beach in California. And so getting to see that on screen was cool. So it got a half star for that. Um, so, you know, 
<laughs> what else did I like about it? I'm trying to think of what I what I liked. I, I liked the visuals. Um, I enjoyed the way in which they were able to show the tech on screen, particularly the social media aspect of the circle when May is doing her job as a customer experience agent. There are many chapters that revolve around her in that job doing that work. And it's way more robust in the book, as always. But there's something that a book can't give me. I mean, I, I visualized as best I could the descriptions, but being able to see in 3D things popping off of a – not literal in 3D at the movie, but like, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, um, within the, the the framework of the of the film. Right. Um seeing those things kind of popping off her screen and her managing different, different aspects of the job. That was really cool for me. Um, seeing the cameras, uh, visualized, you know, versus what I had come up with in my head. Some of it was very close. Some of it was a little bit off. And, um, I remember reading the book, um, specifically the scenes about the cameras being attached to the truck that Mercer was driving. When that scene, when that happens, when he's running Mm -hmm. from the drones and the people, and I had a hard time visualizing that the way that it was written. I was like, how I was trying to picture, like, how does this camera get stuck to the window like this? I mean, I had like this much bigger, you know, um, webcam type thing in my head. And so this little bitty kind of sticky camera, they just kind of are able to pop on there. And then you get to see what the, the, the perspective of the camera looks like. I enjoyed the heck out of that. And um, so when the tech was actually in use, that was probably my favorite part. I I agree. I think that the visuals of the movie really helped sell the story. And I think that's where the disappointment came from because the visuals were so stunning. And getting into that world was a lot of fun too. One of my favorite scenes is the uh, the introduction of Bailey's character, Tom Hanks. He plays this guy named Bailey. And he's, I mean, he's reminiscent of your Steve Jobs, you know, coming out and talking to the you know, the, the people that work at this company. And I remember thinking, I feel like I'm at a Ted talk because the way in which he talks about these dream Fridays, which feels like a very real thing, like at, like at Google or some of these big kind of cutting edge companies that encourage creative thinking. I feel like that, that felt very realistic to me. And it, first of all, it made me want to go work for the circle because that's just, I mean, it's very cool. And he's, his character is incredibly inviting. Like he's, you know, he's charismatic. He's very likable, but the way in which he delivers the message about the cameras, how he starts talking about, you know, I was gone for a few days you know, and you know, I guess, you know, does anybody know where I might've gone? Somebody says surfing. And he's like, yep, that's where I was. And it leads into him talking about when I first started surfing, I would call up and his whole speech leading to the introduction of the cameras and then leading into the introduction of how the cameras are being used and then where it's going now and really just how much has been taking place with this new technology um, became both very fat. I mean, I felt, I felt like May. I felt both, both fascinated and terrified at the same time listening to this guy talk. And I thought that's one of the things that the film got right is – this attitude as an audience, as a, as a guppy, as she was called, of being introduced to this world that you're now working in or now experiencing and trying to understand it all, being amazed and kind of 
apprehensive at the same time. I felt that, and I thought that was a really cool scene. Plus, I'm a big fan of TED Talks, so when something reminds me of a TED Talk, I'm going to give it at least a one thumb up for that. So yay for Dream Fridays. <laughs> I I love the referencing and cause, calling it a TED Talk. I think that is a phenomenal way to put it. And that is exactly what it feels like. Um, it, it completely does. I mean, it, listen, Jeff Bezos uh, from Amazon is a kind of a younger guy, more like a lot along the lines of what Tom Hanks is right now. He's a little younger than Tom Hanks's character, um, Bailey in this film, but you know, Jeff Bezos has a robot folks. And that's, that's the impression you get from watching this guy on screen. Like he's that kind of a CEO. Um, he's got that kind of charisma and that kind of just swagger about him. And I got to say, I dug his performance. It's, it's one of the few performances I liked in this film. Um, I, you know, Emma Watson was hit or miss for me. I am really torn on her. Uh, as an actress going ever since Hermione, I, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time detaching her. Um, she worked for me as beauty, but I think it was because she was a, virtually the same character as Hermione. Um, the way that she had to act. Now I know emotionally mm-hmm. she's a little different, but I, I just, I have a hard time separating her from that role. And in this one, I was able to separate her in a, in a you know, fairly easily, I would say. But there are moments that I think she acts so well, and I would call that out by specifically saying there is a distinct difference in the character of May as she begins this journey and the way in which she acts. She has a confidence, but she also is quiet and reserved and very clearly not socially plugged in in the way that many of these people are, and definitely not as her friend Annie is who is intended to be the you know the the comparison character to to give right. us a real sense of like hey we're gonna put this in your face how drastically unplugged in May is by showing you Annie the the extreme right. opposite when you see May on on stage at the end of the film when she is taking control and she is like running those Dream Fridays and running the 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 whole uh, soul search she is owning the crowd that difference in acting stood out to me as a positive. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing the range and the development of her ability to show her character growth, I guess, or change in that way. But then it's hit or miss because there were plenty of scenes where they were focused in just on May, largely on just her face, Emma Watson or something. And I, I don't know what it is, but maybe I'm the only one who notices, but I feel like she, does all kinds of facial expressions just like constantly she's like twitching her face and her nose and her eyebrows are going up and down. And she's, she's very an an active face and it was distracting to me. Like it didn't fit the scenes that she was in. And so it kind of took me out of it and that. So I'm, I'm very, I'm I'm just all over the place when it comes to Emma Watson as an actress at this point, or especially in this movie. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's uh, going to to hurt you more to know this, but um, Alicia Vikander was actually in the lead to take this role, but she had a scheduling conflict and couldn't take it. <laughs> um, I'm actually glad because she is my, you know, you know, and that's why you're bringing her up. She's one of my, my top five favorites, and I would have been extremely disappointed had she been. In, I mean, I'm disappointed that Tom Hanks is attached to this, Patrick. 
I he's he is the best part of it. But I mean, when Tom Hanks can't save your movie, like, what are you gonna do? Right? Well, yeah, that's true. But and you know, go ahead. The other one I want to mention is just John Boyega. Um mm-hmm. so when the film came out and, and some backstory for you, Patrick, the character that John Boyega is playing, Ty, is one of the founders um in the movie. And he had he's a developer of True You, and essentially he's kind of gone, gone off the grid, and just he's not really Has he gone rogue. Well, no, listen, <laughs> that's the point. He really hasn't gone rogue that much. I mean, he kind rogue of he does one. toward the end. I know he is the rogue one. Um, My bad. <laughs> that's pretty, but he's not in that film. Um, uh, he's his, in Rogue One. No, he's not. Oh, he's in the Force Awakens. His Force Dang. has awakened. Oh. Um, yeah, anyway. Bad joke. Yeah, terrible. See, this movie can't even this can't this movie can't even produce good jokes. Um <laughs> So yeah, he he has gone rogue and he's kind of trying to sabotage the circle and he's he's willing to let May in on this. Well the way in which his character is used in this film is grossly disappointing. Now, first of all, he is what I would consider uh, you know, an A B or B plus actor at this point. He's 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 a known name. Uh, due to the Force Awakens, he's a very good actor. You know, he's not the best in the world yet, but he's solid and he's got name recognition. And so, to put him in this role, hardly put him on screen, have his character act like a complete just goofball, and then end the movie with him kind of just standing in the background with a quick shot of him in the distance, and like that's it. There's no that's it. I mean, it's that's it. it's over. You know, like he doesn't get to do anything. He's like a MacGuffin. Um, in the book, Patrick, the way that this plays out is so much more fascinating. I remember when it, the movie came out, I, I talked to my friends who'd read the book and I said, oh my gosh, how are they going to do this? The character's name is Caldan. How are they going to have John Boyega be Caldan? Cause Caldan was like a, um, an older guy in his fifties. Um, May has, first of all, May is in a relationship by the way, with a, a man, constantly throughout the movie and then she has an affair slash relationship with this caldan slash Thai guy um she meets him the same way kind of at a party and then he starts to manipulate her and bring her in he starts to show her what's going on underground and he really pulls her in and tries to use her against the circle sort of similar to what we see here but they have a romantic and sexual relationship we don't find out that he is Thai until the it's the it's the end reveal of the movie or the book like it's like the one of the climaxes of the, the book is oh my gosh this guy that she has met this whole time he's he's been in secret she doesn't know his name she can't call him she can't get a hold of him you know and then we find out that he's Ty he is the founder of the circle and he's trying to sabotage them and it's it's this oh you know kind of moment and and I was waiting for that <laughs> and so I was like well if you're gonna give me John Boyega in this role. Why don't you do that with him? <laughs> and I just, I just felt like he was completely wasted. That's interesting to to hear that because you've just filled in a bunch of gaps for me, and that was the biggest kind of eyesore for me. Is John Boyega's character felt like a throwaway character? Like, there, she 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 meets him, they have an awkward conversation, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. Then their second conversation, you know, he brings her down and shows her the secret room, you know, where they're going to store all this data. And then he starts freaking out. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, she's only seen him once before. I mean, why is he confiding in her? 
you know, what, what is it? <laughs> Show me at least him spying on her. Show me him watching her over the course of several months and developing some kind of at least one-sided trust. That is exactly what happens in the real and story. So, yeah. So that's what I'm saying is if, if me who I don't consider myself, a, you know, a real, you know, genius when it comes to uh, creative storytelling, when when I can pick up on something like that and see that it's missing, you've got to think that you're 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 missing an incredible part of the story that pushes character development and plot forward. And I think that that's why it was so disappointing was because I'm thinking something feels like it's missing, and knowing that it is now makes it just even more disheartening. Because I'm like, oh, this could have been better. It could have been better just by simply including stuff that was source material. You're not making stuff up. You're including stuff. Um, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why this was not included because that could have en- enhanced the story immensely. Exactly. And, and, and it's, it's why that I would go back to my initial feeling of shock that Dave Eggers was involved in this screenplay, that he would take that vital character and create strip it down to what we got in the film. Um, that was just I, I'm mind blown. I'm serious. I'm mind mind blown that 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 happened. Um, and uh, in that way, and the the other you know the other the rest of the book to movie changes. Um, the ending's a little different, but it pretty much is the same tone. It, it it's got the same <laughs> message if you want to call it that. It's got the same result of the of in the end. Uh, even though it happens a little differently. The rest of the stuff that's left out, there's there's just so much more to her relationship with her parents and her relationship with Mercer and her relationship with her identity and kayaking and things like that. Um, those are the things that were withdrawn and and I can understand some of that. There's some stuff, you know, where she steals the, when she steals the kayak, she meets an old couple on an Island and has this big, long couple chapter conversation with them. Right. They're like off the grid and they are just, it's meant to show a couple who has no idea about the circle and is just perfectly content living where they live in their own little world. And it's meant to kind of show her seeing what that looks like compared to her being pushed to be in all the social activities of the circle. So I can, right. I, I mean, I can understand some of these things that you gotta, you gotta pull stuff out when you're doing books to movies, but, sure. but the, the fact that her relationship with Mercer is not, it's not developed to a point where I I care as much when things happen to Mercer. Um, right. And, you know, they do a better job with her parents. Now's a good time to mention, I didn't know Bill Paxton was in this film until uh, I had posted about going to see it, and a buddy, uh, one of our friends, posted on my Facebook a little sad face and said, Rip Bill Paxton. And I actually kind of was like, huh? I didn't know who he played until the film started. I refused to look mm-hmm. it up. I wanted to be surprised. He did a great job. I, I mean, did. this is his last role, I believe. and It was. Wonderful. I mean, wonderful in that heartbreaking way. Um, and that relationship, again, much more powerful in the book, but I thought that they did a decent enough job with it, um, conveying kind of what was going on here that May tried to help out at home and was being pulled away from that by going to the circle and that she harbored some regret uh, reg- regarding not being there for her family. So um, it wasn't handled terribly. It just wasn't handled great either. Well, and I, I think of the relationships that we see develop in the movie, that was the strongest. That was the one that I connected with the most in terms of the genuine way in which she cared for her parents, particularly her dad. 
I, I, I thought there was such a great moment when she, I think visually, just saying this quickly, I love the contrast of the tech world and the clean, just modern look of the circle, you know, with all the, you know, just this entire campus filled with all this stuff contrasted against the backyard burger, uh, atmosphere, um, backyard grill of her parents' house where she's hanging out at this little, you know, patio furniture, old patio furniture table, um, eating a burger, talking to her mom and dad. It's such a really great contrast. And, and I think what I like about that is that we get a sense of, of a grounded, at least an attempt at a grounded character in both her, who's, you know, who's somewhat grounded and her parents who are really just no nonsense. And there's a moment when Bill Paxton's character, I forget his name, he, uh, he said he kind of jolts a little bit and he has to get up and I kind of knew with, without actually seeing it, but you know, he had, he had soiled himself and that's correct. So good that you picked up on that. Yeah. 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 Um, and and again, it was, it didn't have to be said. You just put kind of two and two together and the the camera kind of stayed on his, you know, hind, you know, hind area just a little bit. And, um, his performance in this movie was just, it just, it was great. Um, as small as it was, I think he owned that role. And I think I didn't understand his illness until they had, they had to explain it to, I didn't understand kind of what his illness was until they mentioned it was uh, it was MS, but his, I was very sympathetic towards his character and, and, and towards her mom too. And so I think that relationship between her and them, between them and each other, you know, them with each other uh, was the one I gravitated towards the most of the character relationships. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Um, so I kind of want to, I kind of want to go through some of this and maybe end this thing on a high note and run through some of the tech talk. Um, because that's the part that I liked the most is the ideas in this film, the ideas in this story. So, and before we jump there, I will tell you this, I live in Seattle and this is where Amazon is. Uh, this is where Microsoft is. We, we have these companies and I can assure you that this is accurate. Now I did, did read that they actually went to some of these tech campuses uh, and modeled the circle after them. But I have applied at some of these places, and I know for a fact, like, this is how they work. They they have fun rooms. They have, you know, taco trucks inside of their camp. I mean, they have these these crazy things going on. They're, they're super fun, and they're meant to just draw employees in and make them so completely loyal and connected to their job and their work. Um, and it's, it's, it's very much like what you see at the circle, uh, when she's walking around. I don't know if everybody stops and films you when you're having a conversation with your boyfriend or not, hopefully not. But, <laughs> but, uh, as far as design wise, they did a, a very accurate job of what modern day tech campuses do look like. But speaking of that, I, I really like the ideas of some of this tech. And I want us to just go through some of it. So starting with true you, okay? The definition of true you, and I pulled this from the book, um, one account, one identity, one password, one payment system per person. There were no more passwords, no multiple identities. 
Your devices knew who you were, and they knew you, the true you, unbendable and unmaskable. So this is this is the idea of, um, you know, in some Christian circles, I don't know, when I was growing up, um, the great fear of the Antichrist coming, right. the big scare was that one day the government was going to barcode us, right? And everything in our lives was going to be tied to a barcode. Now, this is, I say one day, this is still a legitimate concern that could potentially happen. You know, your credit cards are tied to this barcode. Your social security is tied to this barcode. You can't eat. You can't travel. You can't do anything without this barcode being scanned. That's the idea of true you, is everything is connected into this one place. Um, and, and you know, you're just one online identity is all in, in, a, in a spot. So what do you think about that? Good, bad? crazy <laughs> i mean obviously somebody thought it was a good idea in this movie it, it made millions and billions yeah i mean it's um i think one of the 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 themes that kind of circle around this tech are are very much on the nose they're very they're very spot on when it comes to kind of the world we live in and th- this is one of the things i enjoyed about the film is the fact that it was very close to home in terms of the world we live in. Because when you talk about tech, when you talk about kind of futuristic stuff, you're talking about the future. We're really talking about 10 minutes from now. We're talking about 20 minutes from now. Um, we mentioned that a little bit on the Ex Machina uh, minisode that we're not so far removed from the reality of what this is. I mean, you mentioned it yourself that you know these guys went into actual tech companies and, and used that for reference. So to have a piece of technology that is a one-stop shop, uh, the Walmart, if you will, of your identity, it's very appealing and at the same time incredibly scary because the more you consolidate things that are important to you, the more you um, align yourself with, the abil- with, with someone's ability to basically steal that. Um, you basically have to, I think that's why we have things like a, uh, was it a double, a double, I can't remember what it's called, but a two a two factor, uh, two factor authentication. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my company, the company I work for, we just did that with our webmail, where we now have two factor authentication because of things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, I love that kind of stuff. I love the idea of consolidating and simplifying. I think that the image of the circle um, really kind of amplifies that. Everything is very clean. Everything is just real crisp white. Just very minimalist. Um, practically, that's great. Philosophically, I kind of have an issue with that because <laughs> your whole identity is now sitting in a box, a digital box somewhere that just the right the right person with the right hacking abilities can come in and basically just steal that. So uh, it's uh, it's it's tough. I mean, I I I wish I didn't have to use so many passwords all over the web, and so that be that's kind of nice, but. At the same time, I'm kind of glad I do because, you know, I, I I'm I'm everywhere and nowhere at the same time. So, yeah, I you know, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think obviously there is value in it because uh, people people like easy. Um, we're all lazy um, at times, and we're all extremely busy at most parts. Um, Uh, most of our lives. And so I think anything that can save us a few minutes, (laughs) 
uh, and make things easier on us is a draw in this day and age. And that's, that's what this is. And, you know, everything is tied. I'll be honest, you know, I went around and did a couple years ago um, when I got out of the military, I had had several different identities. I'd had several different email addresses that I'd used over time and they no longer made sense because I wasn't in the military and the words in those email addresses, they just didn't, they didn't work for me. And so I, I actually rebranded myself and made a very concerted effort to come up with a name uh, or in a way to, what was I going to do so that I was the same thing everywhere? I wanted to be the same thing on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I did this exact similar concept of, of putting myself into a one, one-stop shop, you know, um, so that if you looked for Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, you were going to find me. No matter where you went, you'd find me. Um, and that's what true you is. Uh, it just is more encompassing, obviously. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, that's so funny that you mentioned the word branding, because I really think that's the message that the circle as a company inside this fictional world is trying to articulate. We are a company of convenience. We are a company that says we want to, well, we know what the motive is based on you know the, seeing the movie, but their external vision statement seems to be we're a company that want to make your life better by putting everything that you are in one place so you don't have to go searching for it. And I think that that's, a, that's an incredibly positive thing because we live in a generation of convenience. You know, it's, we, you know, you, you looked up, I saw you look down at your phone to find out movies that Danny Elfman's filmography, you know, 15 years ago, we would have had to go, you know, we would have said, we'll have to get back with you on that. Instead, I can just pull up, you know, do a quick Google search, Danny Elfman filmography, and I've got all of his stuff at my fingertips. We're a very convenient driven uh, culture. No doubt. And when you have, like, whether that's good or bad, I think is, I think that's, that's a very gray area, but at the very least, it's a reality. And companies like The Circle uh, exist to meet that need or to amplify that or to justify that in some ways. I think that's the strength of a company like The Circle and why things like True You start out as a good idea and then eventually kind of morph into something that is um, used for you know somebody else's gain. Right. So the next one then that I wanted to touch on is Sea Change. So Sea Change is the light portable cameras that can provide real-time video with minimal effort. Um, once again, it starts off as a pretty cool idea. Um, the idea that you can capture uh, events and crime as they happen unbeknownst to the criminals that would essentially serve as a deterrent to prevent these things from happening. Um, of course, with that and the ability for anyone anywhere to place these cameras comes <laughs> incredible privacy issues. Um, so um, we see a lot about what happens at the end when sea change cameras get placed on Mercer's truck and he doesn't want them there uh, and how that ends in tragedy. And that's a big part of it. Um, well, I, I, I'm torn on this one too. And I think that that's the beauty of what the circle brings up, right? All of these tech techs are realistic ideas and things that we could honestly be facing now or in the immediate future. Um, and you know, our, our country, at least in America 
has been dealing with these questions of privacy now for a while of like how far is too far? What kind of government intrusion is okay in order to quote, keep us safe. Uh, and so it, it is a fine line to walk. I mean, I don't, I don't really fall on one end or the other of the spectrum in a, in a big way personally, because I see, I see times when things are valid and I see times when I think that they're not. Um, I can tell you this. I would abuse the sea change cameras if they existed. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever that says about me, <laughs> if I'm a snapshot of humanity, I think they're a bad idea yeah. because I know what I would do with them. Okay. Well, one of the cool things that the, the film explores begins with May's trek at night on the kayak. And mm-hmm. it leads to a conversation that she has with Bailey that. I think is a conversation that a lot of teenagers have had with their parents or with police people. <laughs> and his conversation with her is essentially, um, I think he described, he, he says to her, um, would you do what you did if you knew the cameras were watching you? In other words, would you do something bad? Correct. And I put bad in quotes and she says, no, I'm more conscious of that if cameras are watching. And so it's, it's marketed in the film and you know, the company as something that's good that having someone watch you keeps you in line. But that also brings up that idea that people being sorry for doing something or just being sorry that they got caught for doing something. And what I took away from that, and I think, I think the film tried to do this and, and I picked up on it. The fallibility of humanity of human beings our ability to be deceptive, our ability to lie, our ability to to have pieces of ourselves in one place and pieces of ourselves in another, being exposed to certain people and not exposed to others is what makes us human. And when we have this, quote, transparency, it's not the real us. That's the irony of it. And I think that's yeah. probably what the film is trying to do is that we're not being our our best selves as she as Bailey calls it, we're being who the world wants us to be and we're not showing everything. And that doesn't mean that we show ourselves naked or we show ourselves in the bathroom. I'm talking about like, you know, the great conversation between her and Annie, Annie, uh, it was just after Mercer's, um, accident and she's talking to Annie and Annie goes, are we alone? She goes, yes. But Annie goes, are we alone? She goes, yes. And so there's this really great moment there where Annie's that conversation sort of says a lot about what I'm feeling as a human being that no, being transparent doesn't mean you're completely vulnerable and completely honest. It means that you're presenting the best version of yourself that may not be true. And, uh, and I, I thought that was cool that, that sea change as a, as a product started out as being something that has one purpose, but it leads into this, um, this conflicting, idea uh when it comes to privacy yep i man that's good stuff that is you're spot on with that uh point about not really acting like your real self when you're being watched (laughs) Uh, it it goes back to that old that old uh saying about uh when you get pulled over for speeding or or what is it um uh, gosh what's the what's the, the quote that people always always use about uh you know you you are who you really are when nobody's watching or something like that. 
and the and the and the the extension of that is is that a bad thing? And I don't think it is because I believe an honest person who does bad is more valuable to me than a dishonest person that's putting up a front. Because at least I'm getting the real person with all their faults. Because I'm the, I'm that kind of person. I have my own faults. If if I knew that there were cameras around me in my marriage or with other people, um, I would not be able to be my true self. Now I might get used to it, but you know, real, <laughs> reality television, like the real world and whatnot, that's you know, that's anything but. We think they're being <laughs> they're being real, but we all know that's that's bull. Yeah. And so I think in the same way, it's, it's this is kind of the next the next kind of evolution of that. And it's just not, no, it's, it's, it's the opposite of what you're intending to get. Mm -hmm. Just keep watching the waves. That's the best use of the cameras. Agree with that. Um, so there's, there's two other, two other ones that I want to briefly just touch on. Uh, the, the one in the movie, we only get literally a, a conversation. I would say maybe five sentences, four, three about this, uh, particular technology it's a much bigger part of the book uh it's called child track or true youth and uh, this is the tracker that is embedded in a child's bone um mm-hmm. such a great i really i really just let me reuse this moment to to plug the book if you enjoy the tech aspect of this story the book is still worth reading it's got so much it's so much richer so much many so more so many more characters and things going on um, and it's still worthy of a read, uh, and it's, it's a very, very engaging story. But in it, um, the creator of this, you know, has experienced this in their life. And so there's a, there's a personal reason that they are really passionate about creating this product. And this tracker that would be embedded in children's bones uh, when they're born, essentially to prevent them from ever going missing, right? And eventually, over time, everyone in the world would be trackable because, you know, time would go on and we'd get older. That's another interesting concept. Again, these things come out of such a great place of desire, the the heart's desire to protect and save and take care of others. I mean, who would not want this? If if your child got kidnapped, who would not have in a heartbeat look in hindsight and say, I would have taken that chip in my child's bone. Right. But what happens with that? Well, if, if it's me, and because I, I thought, one, tech like that should not have been limited to a conversation in this movie. It should have had some, some more oomph to it because that was an interesting concept. But the second thing is that if I'm, I, I fully embrace that until the kid turns 18 and then turn the chip off because once you're an adult, you're an adult, you know? I mean, and then because if the end result is that eventually everybody in the world is going to be trackable at any given time... <laughs> you're going back to that whole privacy issue and it's completely frivolous at that point. So if you're talking about, you know, laws and things that prevent minors from doing certain things that protect them, I think this falls in that same category. So as a product, I I would probably support this with limited, you know, with limited use, you know, that once a child turns a certain age, like 16, 18 or whatever, then that, that trucker gets turned off and they become a full fledged adult. And that way it's not now you're we're watching everybody big brother all over again. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, w- I really was excited to see this explored in the movie. And so I, I just, my jaw dropped when, when it happened as a single conversation and then it was over. I just, I was like, really? Like that's all we're going to get. 
because um, that was one of the more interesting concepts to me. Uh, and the last one just is Soul Search, right? And this ties into the ending of the film. And, and I really liked how they, they portrayed this visually uh, in the movie. Um, it was very similar to what I had in my head when reading the book. Uh, when May is walking through the use of this technology that essentially is utilizing the public and their sea change cameras and camera phones, etc. And all of this data, everyone going looking for the same person. Um, and then how quickly they find a criminal. Uh, and bring her in and, you know, get her caught. And then, of course, they they get persuaded to go after Mercer, um, which, you know, doesn't make nearly as much sense in the movie as why they're so passionate about doing this as it does in the book. Um, but they, they go after Mercer, and they are able to find him. And he reacts much like I think most people would react if they were trying not to be found. Uh, when uh, you know attacked by this mob of people with cameras, they run. They try to get away, um, and, and of course the tragedy strikes. And in, in his being chased, he drives off the edge of the bridge, um, which prompts Eamon to then come up with another tech, which he proposes is you know vehicles that can be remotely turned off. Which, as we just recently <laughs> saw in the Fate and the Furious, folks. It's a bad idea to have remote-controlled vehicles, okay? It doesn't end well. We, we've seen how that one plays out. Uh, but So anyway, Soul Search in theory, uh, this is one I've never gotten behind. Uh, personally, I don't, I, don't buy, I, never, I don't have a struggle with this one because I think I cannot get past the inherent danger to the public in this endeavor um, or to the person being chased. If it's, if it's an innocent, there's a danger to the person not wanting to be found. Uh, who could be doing could hurt himself recklessly like Mercer does if the public is facing I, I just <laughs> I'm sorry Patrick but I'm not going to be one of these people with a camera running around trying to find a murderer that has escaped from prison and then chasing them down a hall so that the world can see it on my from my cell phone like that's not my my goal in life because I'm expecting that murderer to turn around and shoot me uh, and and I think that there is a, a, such a danger to the public who would be going after these people that I, I just didn't I didn't have a lot of love for this this program. Oh, I agree. And for those reasons, and also the the movie does a what I call a pretty pretty good job of showing these puts you in a position where even if Mercer's I mean again the flaw of the film is that Mercer's character isn't fleshed out, so we don't care about him as much as as we'd want to. But what we see. And at least in my head, I was cheering a little bit when the, you know, the criminal was captured. And then the exact same thing happened to Mercer. And I'm going, no, this is wrong. And it's it's interesting that what the what the movie does is they they elevate the value of the person to uh, to to me as an audience. I'm going, no, you can't chase him down. You should chase criminals down only. Because they're criminals, but now what you, know, you demonstrate the fact that you you want it, to—it's not about finding criminals; it's about finding people who do or don't want to be found, finding people who are lost. And I, I love that that May said, "Believe me, he doesn't want to be found." <laughs> and so the only thing that separates Mercer from this murderer is just that—that that she's committed a crime and he hasn't. You know, neither of them want to be found, so their motive is might be. Uh, the same in that regard, but we, 
and and I, I thought it was a, a really cool visual that we we didn't see any kind of remorse from the audience. Like they they saw in their own mind Mercer as a bad person too, even though he didn't commit a crime. He was bad from a social perspective in that apparently he kills deer, which he doesn't. And so, you know, perception really draws this. I mean, maybe this, um, I won't get into it, but yeah, from a, from a principal standpoint, soul search is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. The, the deer. And then also the, just in general, the not being wanting to be part of the, the collective whole, right? Like he right. was an outcast because he didn't want to join them. And it was like, well, you don't want to be part of us. Then how you can possibly, what's wrong with you. Right. Right. Um, right. and so, oh gosh, I just, it's awful, awful concept conceptually. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm ready to move on. But the ending of the film, I, there's not much to talk about here. Um, let's we'll briefly say that I'll briefly say this. It's it ends very similarly in the book um, with May going through a, a grieving process, coming back, having Eamon pitch them, exposing them with Ty, and then turning on Ty and essentially deciding that she can do the same thing only better. Um, so the story ends with no lessons being learned <laughs> and Dara Shanahan. Are you listening? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's good. I, I remember actually docking the book, a star in my written review of the, of it because the, in, because of the ending, I was not a fan of the way the book wrapped up and, and then the movie handled it the exact same way, essentially just saying, it's more of the same and we're just in it. We'd go through this whole story and then nothing, nothing changes. People die. People's lives are ruined. And instead we just have another person at the top, you know, just another person who thinks that they're, they're good and that they can do it better and they can do it differently. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, in the end, I believe, I don't remember the quote. I didn't write it down, but she says something like, um, the problem is that, you know, the leaders weren't transparent. <laughs> everybody was transparent except except the main guys. And so everybody needed to be transparent for this to work. And, and it just, it feels like a gross misunderstanding. And I, I'm not against that ending or that, the realistic nature of someone coming to that conclusion. Um, I just don't personally dig it for the story. I would have liked to have seen some redemption. Okay, well, that makes me feel better because that's what I thought happened. <laughs> but because of these gaps, I kind of thought, wait a minute, that's not what she's supposed to do, right? She's supposed to expose them for who they are because, you know, Tom Hanks, uh, Bailey basically said, we're, you know. He's, we're at, screwed. Yeah, that was all. Screwed. I love that line, by the way. <laughs> and with a smile on his face, drinking his coffee, yeah. <laughs> never breaking character. And I think that was from just, you know, from a storytelling standpoint, I think it kind of personally disappointed me because i was like oh no lessons learned well that's kind of lame i was kind of rooting for you for a little bit there uh may and you turned out to be you know a little <laughs> you're no longer a guppy you're head honcho now and so it just yeah i didn't i didn't like the ending even if the movie was amazing i wouldn't have liked the ending yeah me either me either um anything else that you want to touch on before moving on to our good old connecting points Nope, I think that's about it. Uh, who wants to go first? I don't. I mean, I guess I'm asking that. Like, do you or me want to go first? <laughs> Why don't you go first? 
<laughs> Let's ask the other people in the room. Oh, wait, that's just Oh, us. there are none. <laughs> well, <laughs> the movie's disjointed, and I don't really get much time to care about any of the characters due to the fact that things just kind of feel thrown together. So I don't want to rehash any of that. But I, I remember specifically at the beginning of the film that there are um, I'm learning in my current job about established uh, establishing shots, you know, shots that basically set the scene and being able to go back to them briefly uh, to to reinforce ideas. And the beginning of the film does something that I thought was pretty powerful. It, it consists of like these four establishing shots with May at the center of of each one. And it essentially tells me a lot about her without using a lot of dialogue um, or, or any, you know, in some cases, none whatsoever. The first was her on the water. And that told me that she liked her independence, that she needed to, you know, she, she, she seems like an introvert. I mean, that's something I would do if I had access to a kayak and a bay, I would probably do that because that's very peaceful. Can I interject briefly? Yeah. I do have that ability. And I looked up when I was reading this book, I got so inspired by these these times where she would do this that I looked it up to find out when I could do this. And I'm, a little, I'm just was waiting. I'm waiting on the season to change because it kind of shut down for a little while when I read the book was in late fall. And so I was waiting because we have a couple of kayak clubs on the lakes here in Seattle where you can do this exact thing. And oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be doing it a couple times in the summer. My plan was to stop after work just like May uh, and just go out on one. And my roommate recently built a trailer and has a kayak or two. Um, so I'm also have the potential of, of maybe going out with him sometime and doing some late kayaking. So I connected with that part of it. I thought that was really cool. And I just, I thought I'd share that with you. Cool, man. Yeah. No excuses now. So you got to do it. Um, the second, the second scene was her at work mm. and she's in this cubicle world of the, I guess the water company or electric company. And she's talking <laughs> It's so sad. She's talking to a customer and she's saying, yeah, your bill was for 37, uh, 31. And you, you sent me a check for 37, 13. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to ask for that extra 20 cents. And you, we don't know if it, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. sorry. I feel like I'm, I'm no, I'm going to mess up your flow. Do you remember me sending you a picture a couple, couple weeks ago of Comcast, the bill that they sent me for seven cents? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I said how, you know, like that seven cents is like, a, a quarter of what it cost you to pay for the stamp to send me the bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that reminded me of. <laughs> so this scene, it leaves her, it shows us that she's clearly unhappy and she needs a change. And then the third was her car breaking down on the highway. And I'm like, gosh, this, this woman's life is sad. And then she calls this, who we find out it's Mercer to come help her, uh, help get her car fixed and you know she you you can kind of tell that they have a relationship a good friendship and i i really love the fact that he said so you want to do something later and she's like yeah i'll text you and he goes well why don't we just make plans now and so we're getting kind of this understanding that mercer's not on the grid necessarily he's not mm -hmm. necessarily a digital guy and then um it's an awkward conversation you know and it shows that she's more kind of attuned to using texts and you know, digital communication to maybe keep her distance. And Mercer's kind of kind of annoyed with that. And then finally the the scene around the dinner table, 
it shows her relationship as this um I, I guess she's the single daughter um is that yeah does mm-hmm. she have okay i don't think she has um, i get yeah well annie annie felt like it felt for a minute like annie was her sister or something like that but i guess mm-hmm. she's just a, a good friend college roommate i think in the book or something like that oh okay. that, that type okay. of relationship right and so it sets up this this really great relationship between her and her parents which i mentioned earlier was just really fantastic um and so it, it it kind of creates the potential for this really cool character arc and how she connects with all these characters and and potentially how she changes and how it changes the relationships with her these uh, these other people in her life that sounds like um, a really good movie it does sound like a really good movie <laughs> can i watch that one <laughs> it was not this one this is the the sphere i think it's called the sphere um because it's more rounded, you know, it's not flat. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I wish that those moments were paid off later in the film, um, but because it felt rushed and pieced together, it just, I, I connected with that, but only halfway. Like, I felt like that moment would have been a lot more uh, important to me had I seen more of those relationships played out, had I cared more about Mercer, had we had more of her relationship with Annie fleshed out. Because, again, Annie as another example is, is one of these people that, you know, I look at her once and she's like on top of the world. And then a scene later, she feels looks like she hasn't slept in like six days. I'm like, wait, what's happened to you? <laughs> it's like, there's no, there's no dramatic thing. So I, I wanted more of that. And, but those, I mean, those shots were fantastic and it made me excited about the rest of the film. Unfortunately, it just didn't, it didn't carry through. Yeah. That's uh that's about where I landed. And, you know, so when I walked out of this movie, um. It, it, well, before I say mine, I, I love your connecting point, and I and I I love this section of our podcast. I, I really do, and I think this is something that I look forward to every episode. And is considering this and determining this, and it's it's the probably the thing that I give the most thought to, um, because this is why we exist, and, and you and I are emotional beings, emotional guys who really have strong feelings and we like to talk about how that affects us when we, we see movies of course. And I, I almost always have trouble deciding a connecting point. I love how out of the box yours is this time around um, with it being multiple scenes and kind of the reason for their existence more so than just exactly what that one scene, but the the whole versus the parts the some of the whole. So I think it's all, I think it was great. Um, and I'm glad that you shared that. I say that because I don't have one <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I, I believe this is the first time for me that I've ever said this. Um, it, it hurts me and it pains me. I, I try, I almost picked a couple of different things and I, th- I thought more about it and I realized I was forcing myself. I realized that I did not have an emotional connection. I thought, well, maybe I'll talk about Mercer's death. I didn't care, Patrick. I didn't care just didn't and i thought well you know maybe there's some other stuff there's there's a good scene with annie at the end that's that's you know decently you know sweet but i didn't care about that either because she just turns around and basically (laughs) does the opposite and you know she may goes back and and she doesn't do any there's no there's no growth there um so i didn't have a connecting point and um this is what really just showed me how much I didn't like the film. Um, even though all the, there, there are good things in it and we've pointed those out, 
it's not one I'll ever watch again. It's not one that I would encourage people to pay money to go see in the theater. You know, you could rent it for a buck on Redbox or whatever, and it would be fine. I don't, I don't see a problem with that. I'm not disappointed that I gave it a shot, a fair shot. But yeah, I mean, it sums it up for me and really hit home just how, just how sad I was for this adaptation that I, I couldn't, couldn't find a moment that I look back on and go, oh, that's the circle for me. It's, it's, it's out of my head. It's gone. And uh, it's too bad. It's too bad. It is what it is. But, you know, on to the next one, right? They can't all be, can't all be La La Land. (laughs) This is true. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, or your name. Um, I would say this, that um, I appreciate your being transparent with or without a camera. That's pretty fantastic. (laughs) And uh, if you guys want to be transparent with us about this movie or other movies, you can... um, you can find us on uh, on the web. We're at feelinfilm.com, on Twitter, at feelinfilm. You can find the uh, Facebook group through the website, or you can go to facebook.com slash feelinfilm and get there from our Facebook page. If you want to connect with me on anything from, from this movie to documentaries or just shooting the poop or whatever, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on Wait. the big three. <laughs> Oh, oh, I get it. I got it. Sorry, I got it now. Maybe I should edit okay. out my, my slowness. Okay. <laughs> get off your phone. <laughs> get disconnected, please. I am trying to connect with you, Patrick, right now, okay? <laughs> On my phone. So watch it. Wait, I'm trying to shoot gonna, the poop. Are, are people are people going to come at me with cameras? <laughs> are you trying to find me with Soul Searcher or whatever? <laughs> Anyway, you can find me at uh, the Big Three uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Shoeless Patch S H O E L E S S P A T C H. We also want to mention last week's uh, episode on Ex Machina. It was a fantastic, fantastic conversation. We all had a good time with our our guest Iman, and then the bonus content, which. <laughs> delves into the uh the world of batman v superman uh more talk about ex machina and a little bit of a uh a uh a, i guess not fan theory but yeah a, no it's a fan theory that's fan exactly th- what it is okay but by, by e-man himself that uh, became a really great conversation as well so if you're um if you're wanting to be if you're interested in, in that you can check out the the mini set on our website and if you're interested in the bonus content you can become a subscriber, a Patreon subscriber. We'd love to um, have you on board supporting the show. Uh, speaking of the show, we would love it if you left us a review on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. Give us a, give us a rating. And uh, know that just these new reviews, they help people find us, help us grow the show. And it really gives people an idea of what we're about and really how we, how we impact you guys, the listener. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's it for me. What about you, Aaron? Well, Patrick, uh, they can find me, as I mentioned earlier, all over the web at Aaron L white, A A R O N E L W H I T E. That's my true you name. Uh, you can find me there and connect with me. I'd love to talk about this movie, uh, any movies. I've, I've met some awesome people recently on Twitter that I have just had the greatest conversations with. Um, some of them, our arguments <laughs> and we do not see eye to eye, but you know what? It's fun. Uh, it's fun engaging. It's fun talking through these things. Um, it's even more fun when we agree because I think I, I get a real kick out of just loving, loving a piece of art together. Uh, but I would, I would 
welcome anyone who, who wants to connect with me and talk further about this or anything else that we've covered or anything in general. Next week, we have two more episodes coming. Uh, we I know we've been on a string of this two-episode thing. Um, we'll probably slow down shortly, but uh, we needed to make up our main episode from last week that we were unable to get out. Um, I had some internet issues, and it was unfortunate because that episode is Top Gun. Uh, it's going to be, it was re- going to be recorded on my birthday, and it was intentionally picked for that reason. Uh, we also have a very special guest that will be joining us for that one. So that one is coming next Monday, and then next Friday. I, I, I shouldn't be using days because I don't know when you're listening to this, listeners. You could be listening to this in the future. Um, anywho, two episodes coming out. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is the other one. So we'll be dropping that on the day of release. We are excited to see that. We are excited to talk about that. Baby Groot and Raccoon. Raccoon. Oh, my gosh. I'm tired. Baby Groot and Rocket. <laughs> I just and lost Chris all. Pratt, I'm done. Pratt. I just lost all credibility. That's what we got for you. I'm sorry if you don't come back because I didn't call Rocket by his name. <laughs> Please don't go. I know. Please come back, listeners, even though I'm a Marvel failure. Well, that's it. That's what we got coming. I hope you guys will come back. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, As always, we had a great time talking about this one, despite not loving the film. And I think we pulled some good stuff out of it, Patrick. So I agree. Like we always say, this is it. But uh, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.